Good morning and welcome to HR Tech Weekly, One Step Closer with Stacey Harris and John Sumpser. This is our 291st week of doing HR Tech News. Hey, Stacey, how's North Carolina? Hey, John, we are, boy, we're in the middle of it here, aren't we? <laughs> we're doing well in North Carolina. The weather is nice. As you said, it's our 291st, right? Boy, that's a, that's a lot of shows. Right. So we here in North Carolina, we're just holding on and waiting to see what things are going to look like. And I'll let you know in about a week if, if North Carolina still exists after all this. <laughs> and how about you? You're in California. Yeah. Solidly know what Californians are doing and thinking, right? <laughs> well, you, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I am as concerned about the next levels of the pandemic as I am about sorting the wheat from chaff in the aftermath of the election. Um, it's looking gruesome. <laughs> That's what I'd say. It's looking gruesome. Yeah. The numbers are definitely higher than I think. I mean, I think we all knew they were going to go up. But to see that, that sort of 100,000 number hit yesterday, I think it was. Yep. And I think, you know, from our perspective, let alone personals and, you know, our family members and people we worry about and all that stuff. But I think from an HR perspective, there is a even a bigger hurdle with this because, you know, at first, like you had mentioned, I think even in your presentation, HR Tech, there was this, you know, everybody was going to be heroic. We're all going to do the right thing. We're all sort of pitching in together. And that's starting to get weary now. And so I was talking to a friend of mine who does HR for a healthcare and she's like, yeah, all of a sudden, you know, the healthcare professionals who have been putting their, their life on the line, she goes, not only are they tired, but the people around them are tired of dealing with it. And she said, you know, and nobody's, you know, holding up blue signs saying how great they are anymore. And it was just really telling that she as an HR professional has to think a lot more about the mental health of her frontline workers, even more so than she did at the beginning of the pandemics. And we're heading into this high you know, next wave of it. It's a bit like being on the ocean and the waves keep coming and you can't stop and you're tired at this point. And they get bigger and bigger. And it's such an interesting time to be alive. And you can tell, I mean, this is the case that I'm going to make over and over again, that the fundamental priorities of HR and the fundamental priorities of people who buy HR technology are shifting faster than the pundits can keep up with it. Yeah. And so it feels, I think if you are a decision maker inside of an HR function, it probably feels like there are no guardrails right now. Yeah. Because every decision that you make, you're making for the first time. Yep. And so it's just brutal to be learning all the time. This idea of the permanently learning organization, I think, was invented by somebody who didn't understand how hard it is to do learning permanently. <laughs> no, I agree. I mean, you know, we use the term continuous change, but continuous change requires continuous learning. Like you said, the ongoing learning I think part of the reason there's such resistance to this model in the workforce isn't because people don't know how to do it in some cases, it's because they don't want to, right? It is a lot more work to always be on, right? To always be looking for the changes. I think it's easier if you have some things in place that help you see when those changes take place. I mean, that's, that's one of the things we saw in our data this year was if you had tools in place that were giving you awareness when stuff started going wrong, it's a little bit easier to handle that because you're not making those decisions as the company's sort of crumbling around you. But no matter what, it's a constant barrage of, as you said, new decisions right now. Now, not only am I going to have to make decisions about where people are at and layoffs and stuff, but now I might be cutting my overall HR and technology budget, 
but I'm buying these brand new things. I mean, you know, how many companies are, I think it was your, was it your session where you were talking about, you know, it was like, who's going to clean the bathroom? And I'm like, well, there's an even bigger question. Are we changing out some of the things inside of our restrooms, inside of our offices, which were all about open and air and light. And now we've got to think differently about bringing people back to work at all, if we're going to have that kind of environment. It's a challenging moment in time. And, you know, it's really interesting. I was on the phone the other day with a vendor and, you know, there are a bunch of people from the vendors team and me in the Zoom call. And one of the people in the the vendor group said, I just can't keep up with all of the changes to Zoom. I can never figure out what's going on. I can't keep up with the changes. And I said, well, now you're having a firsthand experience of what it's like to be your customer. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my. Oh, wow. Oh, yes. Right? (laughs) Right. Right. And they went, there was a sort of a slap my forehead moment for them (laughs) as they went, oh, Oh, because, you know, we can say that sort of stuff, but it doesn't feel real until you can find something that you can hook it to. And so, yeah, yeah, I think you're going to see people get very smart about where they want to see innovation in their products and where they wish that you wouldn't bother innovating. Yeah, Um, just leave it as it's been. Yeah. 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 Great. Thanks for all the big ideas. Now, can you give us the stuff we need to do our job? Exactly. Well, and that might very well be, I mean, I mean, some of the stuff we got in the news this week is sort of a mixed bag of very large investments and also some very early but telltale signs that, you know, the investments are down in other areas. And I think it's it's exactly because of, of what you're talking about, that that people are sort of saying, look, there's some areas I need right now. And there's some where I just don't want you to mess or touch with it, right? <laughs> yep. Yep. And so, and so in the news, what are we looking at? We're looking at the impact of the pandemic on stock prices and probably revenue in 2021. Yeah. 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 There's a couple of stories there. I picked just two of them, but there's several of them that are out in the market right now. I mean, SAP probably had the biggest upset, the commentary, they startled the market because they saw their cloud backlog shrinking, which was unusual for them at this point in time. But you also saw, I mean, SAP being one of the largest companies and serving the largest markets in the world, you also saw a similar thing coming out of Paycom. Paycom stocks dropped after their second quarter numbers came out with soft revenue forecasts for going forward. And I think both of those are examples of what we were just talking about, that there's something going on in sort of the traditional HR tech market. We also saw, though, some interesting stuff going on in the large investment areas and in the mergers and acquisitions. There's a possibility of a, of an acquisition, it looks like, for Elmo. So some of you might not know Elmo, but Elmo is one of the largest sort of Australia, New Zealand HR cloud payroll um, provider and learning provider. And they're looking at acquiring Breathe, a, a, another HR technology company with, I think, more services and tools. So you can see organizations doing a lot of mergers and acquisitions at this time. We also had an interesting one, we might take some time to talk about this, SHRM is rolling out. So Society for Human Resource Management, for those who, who might not know what SHRM is, but I think everybody kind of knows that who SHRM is in this industry. SHRM itself is rolling out a pay solution. It's a digital payroll service from the association, but again, taking advantage of what's happening in the small business market right now. Not sure how that's going to play over with their sponsors. But then we're also seeing huge investments, Eightfold AI, which is 
a recruiting analytics tool, raised $125 million in Series D funding. That's a lot of money right now in the middle of everything. And so that's probably worth chatting a little bit about. There's also Lena AI, which is one of the early Y Combinator summer cohorts that a lot of people were talking about. They grabbed $8 million Series A funding for their HR service platform, which again, both of those areas maybe point towards what people are looking to invest in. We're also seeing some interesting partnerships take place. Beekeeper, which is more of a communications tool, joined the UKG, which is the Ultimate Kronos Group Dimensions Technology Partner Network. And Ceridian rolled out new benefits intelligence tools this week. So it's been a busy week and the pace isn't slowing, but we are definitely seeing where organizations are investing their time and money to be a little bit different from what we saw, I would say, this time last year, right? Yeah. Let's start by diving into the SHRM announcement. Mm -hmm. Ready? What? Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) What? Sherm. Yeah, I know. I just saw the other day that Sherm has a venture capital arm. And now they are now, so they're not just investing, but they're releasing products. Releasing products. Yeah, this one. And I don't know of any other professional association that I've ever heard of that is audacious enough to field technology when there is an entire industry full of people who actually know how to do it. Right. The odds that the bumbling lobbyists at Sherm are going to suddenly turn into competent tech providers are exactly zero. And you kind of wonder how they will be able to offer certification for professional service if what they have to do is hustle their products, <laughs> right? So now a Sherm certificate means you know how to use Sherm products. Yeah. This is just stupid. I will have to say that when I saw this come across the wire, I was a little blown away. And I mean, SHRM is the largest association in our market with over 300,000 members. They're bigger than most companies in our market. Right. Members in 165 different countries. I'm not exactly sure where this isn't their individual product. This is actually their reselling someone else's project, which I think makes this even a little bit more uncomfortable. You know, if, if you dive into what they're talking about here, they're, they're, they're saying these services that they're offering are powered by, and I'm going to find the company's name, but it's Pfizer, but uh, money, the money network, yes. the money, network. the money network, the Sherm pay solution is enabled by the money network. Yeah, there it is by money network, which is a data finance and now Fiserv, I think. So it's more like a debit money service offering. But this is exactly what we are seeing ADP, Ceridian, even Workday get into right now. Oracle, all of them are getting into this space right now. This is right direct competition with those vendors. And to your point, if you're promoting it and you're selling it, that means you have to be able to stand behind the product and know the product, which means, yeah, I don't even know where you go with this with Germ. So you sit on the board of IRA, which is another professional association. Yes, I should note that, yeah. Can you imagine the extraordinary noise that would erupt if IRA started... Selling a product? Repping (laughs) vendors? Yeah, no. (laughs) Yeah, no, that would be completely against not only our charter. Our charter literally says 
We are not allowed to sell, present, or or represent any particular vendor because we're vendor neutral. But it also makes a point that our focus is on the advocacy of a profession and a role. Well, how can you be focused on the advocacy of a role and a profession if you're more focused on selling that role and profession something that has nothing to do with the growth of their own profession? (laughs) I mean, I completely believe in selling training and education and pitching certifications. I just think all of that makes sense. I get it. You know, everybody's got to make money to live. We all got to survive. Membership numbers. This to me seems like a step too far. So yeah, this one threw me, I will have to say. But I think in this market, in the space that we're in right now, where we're talking about what do people need, I can't discount the fact that Sherm probably saw very clearly that many of the SMBs are struggling with which payroll solution to pick. And can they get something that is easier to manage and that's attached to something they already know because there's thousands of options in the market right now for this kind of thing. So I can see why buying it from a someone you know and feeling a little bit more comfortable that your association might be offering it that it is reputable in this space makes sense. I just think that they should have spun it off as a different kind of a thing, but completely different with a Chinese wall across all of the things. Yeah, I don't know how you can take responsible positions at a policy level about the handling of data and privacy if you are repping somebody else's data handling and privacy thing, right? You'd have to adopt whatever their position was. Mm -hmm. You couldn't have a position that disagreed with them. So you'd have to adopt whatever their position was. That's, that's, that's just trouble waiting to happen, you know? And meanwhile, People who work in HR depend on Sherm to be an arbiter rather than a participant. Yeah. So, I don't know. Boo Sherm. But this isn't the first time I've said boo Sherm. (laughs) And I don't know how well this will be accepted by the market. It'll be interesting to see. You know, will we start to have a a Sherm store of all of their solutions they offer? Possibly, right? But I think the bigger conversation here is, one, should they be doing this? And the answer is probably no. I think everybody would agree with that. Secondly, as they're doing this kind of stuff, is this in reaction to the fact that there are so many struggling small businesses? Is this in reaction to the fact that the market is so splintered right now in this in this particular topic and in this particular area? So I think there is an opportunity for someone to come in and be a trusted voice in this space. It's just I don't think it should be the association. So yeah. Well, so you have a fundamentally kinder view of this than I do, because I think this is a slippery slope, and they just slipped right down it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And there's no excusing. There's no excusing. I agree. Yeah. I also know how important local Sherm chapters can be in small towns and in small areas, and how that community makes a difference. I know for me, when I was a young HR employee, you know, it was Sherm that connected me to other Sherm professionals and got me my next job. I'd be very aware that those local chapters do amazing things. And, and my hope is that this kind of thing doesn't hurt the local chapter relationships, but I think it will over time if, if it keeps going forward. Yeah. Yeah. So yay, boo, Sherm. What, what else is in here? <laughs> Eightfold raised a bunch of money. Yeah. $125 billion for something that looks like it wants to be a competitor with phenom people and you know it's sort of a do everything 
intelligent that you can do inside of talent acquisition and talent management. So more skilled stuff and more automated recruiting stuff, all in a single bundle wrapped around a single employee profile. Here's my question for you, John. I mean, most of these kind of analytics at the recruiting level kind of companies, they can't have more than maybe, and I don't know Eightfold's exact numbers, but you know, usually when I talk to these companies, their 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 employee sizes range from 300 to, to, to 500, but they're usually the biggest companies in the market, usually Fortune 1000 or so. But 125 million, and this is on top of, of funding that they've already gotten. So in total, it looks like Eightfold had 176.8 million between the A, B, C, D funding. That's a lot of money at this juncture. What does that kind of money denote in this kind of market? Does someone really think that Eightfold is going to change the way we do recruiting and analytics? I think you need to understand that these investments are made by bankers, not by people in the industry. Mm -hmm. And so the, the banking idea is if you can spend the money fast enough, it really is, how fast can you spend the money? Then you can build a ahead of momentum that becomes unstoppable, right? And so this is all about how rapidly can you get to the point where your growth hits that bend in the J-curve yeah. and goes straight up. And so the it's like escape velocity money is a good way to think about it. You know, escape velocity is how fast you have to go to break through the Earth's orbit when your missile takes off. And these big deals are all about generating escape velocity for the companies that get this money. And it requires a kind of thinking about business that is not the way that you think about building your own small business. But it's about starting from the beginning, building a business that is able to handle a billion dollars in transactions. Yeah. Right, so you build everything big first, and that's expensive, and that's what the money's for. And so, so when there's an investment, the bankers are never smart about the industry. Right, that's that's it's not the banker, it's not that bankers are naive, but they they have to be jack of all trades, master of none. Yeah. And and the way that you do venture investing is you never believe that all of your investments are going to pay off. You want one in 10 to pay off, right? And so so there's this weird correlation. It's the more venture money you get, the less likely you are to succeed. And this stuff isn't broadly understood. So a company like Eightfold will be delighted to run out and trumpet the fact that they've raised all of this money. But what it really means is that they've got a big mortgage on a big house and a small family to live in. It. Yeah. Well, exactly. That's definitely where my head was at. And so, yeah. I think that's one of the most down-to-earth ways to explain this. You know, investments are such a funny thing, and we hear about them. And many of these vendors use this, well, I got this investment as a way to prove to buyers that they're going to be around for a while, that they're in the game to play it for a while. And a lot of times organizations forego really important things like financial evaluations because they're like, oh, they just got a lot of cash investment. As you said, history tells us that may not be the best thing. You should probably still do your financial evaluations, right? <laughs> yeah. I have this quiet theory about the world that there are two doors that you can go into. One is marked money and one is marked brains. <laughs> and nobody gets to go in both. <laughs> 
Okay. This is a good one. There are some exceptions. There are some exceptions, but, but generally speaking, generally speaking, you don't look for smart things where the money is accumulated. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so if either of us make a lot of money, John, uh, do, do, do we forego the the other side of it? Is that what we're having to say? <laughs> I think there are many days where I'd be happy to be stupid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> One last comment on investments here, because I think it's worth noting. I know we're running up in just the last few minutes, but Lena AI nabbed $8 million in Series A funding, not nearly as much, but it's expanding a chatbot. And, and at first you'd be like, another chatbot in the market. But part of what they're doing, it looks like with this, is they're expanding to create a full HR service platform, which means they're going to be doing chatbot driven case management systems. It looks like they're going to be escalating into an intelligent platform for responsive HR, sort of knowledge management. This is something you and I have talked a lot about. And I do think that coming out of HR tech and coming out of this year's pandemic crisis, one of the things we have seen that when we talk about where the money is, that I think people are looking for things that are changing people's lives right now, that are having an impact on how they meet the needs of their employees. There's no doubt that something as simple as a help desk tool has made all the difference in some organizations, right? A case management tool that's well-developed, has the right type of knowledge base behind it, has the right process and procedures after it, and the right triggers and categories to allow people to monitor what's happening in their organizations, particularly for very large organizations. This, to me, is a play in that market, particularly at a chatbot level. This could be the ability to do this for more mid-market level organizations, possibly especially if the data is somewhat normalized across industries. I don't know. Do you think, you know, we've talked a lot about service delivery as the next exciting thing, at least from my perspective. Do you think that it's realistic to create a chatbot that's an HR service delivery platform? So the language is so imprecise. Mm-hmm. This will take a moment, but let me do this. To build a chatbot, you have to have the ability to translate all sorts of language into questions. And then you have to have enough information with which to answer those questions. And then you have to be able to take people to those answers, right? Those are the essence of a chatbot. And simply done, you know, do you have a late model car, yes or no, the sort of recruiting screening chatbots? Mm -hmm. Very easy to do that. But when you get to something like this, Many of the players are quite proud of the fact that if you ask their systems a question, they will point you to the document in which the answer happens. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine anything more infuriating (laughs) than going to your HR department and saying, you know, what are my insurance benefits and have them refer you to an insurance binder? (laughs) That's the kind of state of the art of most chatbots rather than the standard being If you have a question, you get a specific answer that you can do something with. That's the level of quality that you want to aspire to. And that's pretty hard to do with something that's case management. Case management allows you to start to manage the actual quantity of transactions in HR. And it's a huge and important thing. Case management, like people doc, amazing stuff that you can do with case management inside of a of a system, but generally speaking, you can only get to the doc. 
right? That's the that's the the limitation on these things is it'll take you to the file, but it won't tell you what's in the file. It'll just say your answer is probably in the file somewhere. Yeah. And the kinds of operations required there are there are companies out there like like Socrates that both integrate all of the technical systems so they have access to HRIS data and payroll data and benefits data and health data and translate the questions and ensure that the client has all of the data necessary to answer all of the questions then you can get this seamless thing where you hit the chatbot and you say how much time will I get off when I have my baby in December? And the answer to that question usually involves looking stuff up in six or seven systems. Yeah. And so you have to have that all set up so that the answer, you'll have 14 days, doesn't involve running somebody through all of those bits and pieces of it. And most chatbots are not able to be that sophisticated, partly because the people involved in it don't really understand AI. There's a kind of, uh, don't understand HR. And so there's a kind of competence that's missing in a lot of these companies to understand whether or not their solutions are actually meaningful. That makes sense? It completely makes sense. It's one of the things that when, when I saw the investment, I agree in the direction it's heading. The question is whether a chatbot can be the service delivery arm, right? The only service delivery arm, which is what it feels a little bit like what they're trying to comment on. And I think a human element in here, you know, one of the stories we're not going to get to talk about is that, you know, Walmart canceled its inventory tracking robots. They basically, after five years of investment in it, kind of said, you know, humans are a little bit better at this for the moment. This is an area where I think it just feels like you need a human at some level still but we might get there. And Socrates is, is a good example of an organization sort of pulling some of that together. So it'll be interesting to see where this goes. The big thing here is service delivery, I think, is, is where the investments are going to continue to grow. And we're going to see more people realizing that maybe that's the space where HR has to really change what they're doing these days. So that is exciting to see. But yeah, so yeah, lots of conversations in the, in the investment space and figuring out what it means, right? <laughs> that's right. Okay, well, we have whipped through our time together again this week. What a great conversation. Yeah, always. As always. So thanks, everybody, for tuning in. You've been listening to HR Tech Weekly with Stacey Harris and John Sumter. See you back here same time next week. Bye-bye now. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.